Hi, I'm Lara Bennett, and you're listening to Highway Butterfly, the stories of Neil Cassell. Neil was a gifted singer, songwriter, musician, and friend to many. He released 14 albums as a solo artist and collaborated on countless projects with other musicians. After his passing in 2019, his friends and family created the Neil Cassell Music Foundation to provide instruments and music lessons to students in New York and New Jersey and to support organizations that offer musicians mental health care. One of the featured projects of the newly formed foundation is the tribute album, Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Cassell, a sprawling 41-song collection bringing together a galaxy of rock and roots luminaries. We've asked the contributing musicians to share their memories of Neil and their stories of making the record. Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Cassell is out on November 12th. Pre-order the album and learn more about the Neil Cassell Music Foundation at neilcassellmusicfoundation.org. Hey, how you doing, everybody? This is John Grayboff. I'm the guest podcast host, and I got a really special friend and a really special guest today who I've worked with, I've recorded with, and I love dearly, Mr. Shooter Jennings. Good to see you, my friend. Hey, it's so good to see you, John. Always is. I uh, mean, it's always a pleasure. Last time I was in Albuquerque, I think, about two years ago, I think. Yeah, I think, uh, well, that, when we got together to, to do the song with Neil. Oh, that's right. That was be- that's since then, sure. That's since then. That's the only That's the only time, though. That was pretty brief, you know. It was but, brief, uh, but it was fun, but we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. So tell me, uh, tell me about um, SNL with uh, Brandy. I saw you on the TV the other night. Oh, yeah, that was fun, man. I mean, like, we were hoping she would get it for this new record uh, in these silent days. Or, um, and we were hoping she would get SNL. And so when it came down the pike that she did, we got very excited. And then Lauren picked the songs. And so Lauren picked Broken Horses, which I love off the record. And it's really like a piano-driven song. So that was a, that was a cool opportunity to get to rock out something like that. listening to it and I'm going, there's a piano, where's my man? And then finally I got a, <laughs> caught a glimpse of you back there in the shadows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they uh, always uh, stick me in the back because I'm definitely yeah. the ugliest guy in the band. <laughs> uh, well, I think I think in your rider you have to include a special light just right on, right on, right on your face. So there's, there's my man. So it seems like you've been sliding more and more into the into the producer chair lately, um, you know, with Brandy's record and, and uh, Marilyn Manson record, I believe. And uh, so how, did, did this just kind of just kind of take on a life of its own or because, you know, I know you were producing your own records and stuff, but. Yeah, but see, like you were there for the beginning of that. I mean, so mm-hmm. the people at home listening know that John was 
played with me for years and we we did records we went on the road we worked on many other projects together also he's he's my favorite steel player out there so it's like i always i i just love your and one of my favorite musicians out there you know your input just having you in the room makes the molecules better in my opinion (laughs) Thanks, Um, but you know like so uh back then i was you know that was me first starting to to really trust myself in the producer chair and you guys helped me a lot and so did brandon mason who was engineering and encouraging and uh you know that was just a really fun period and then as see i was starting to move in the direction of that when me and my old manager john, 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 john Hensley, yeah sure he uh he was really pushing for me to do more production and he wanted to start the label together the bcr yeah. labels so that really kind of pushed me into a different kind of headspace creatively and and really it just it's something I just really enjoy so much doing in the first place. And then second, secondary, like you get to be so much more creative when you get to play with all these different people. And I'm sure, you know, cause you, you always got your hand in a lot of different projects, but it's like being able to be creative with a large group of people. is just more fulfilling. And then, then going sure. in the studio and doing one record and touring it all the time, like that to me well, has sure. always been the part of it that I've enjoyed the most, you know, so Brandy really was the first to really take a chance with me with that last record. She put me and Dave Cobb together, not knowing that we had done a lot of records and knew each other and mm-hmm. for a long, very long time. And it worked really well. And after that started happening, I did like, the, I got Manson and Duff and uh, Duff McKagan had asked me to do records. And then I, in the, all in the meantime, the Tanya Tucker thing came down sure. the pike because I worked with her on something else and told her I wanted to do a record on her. And when I told Brandy that I wanted to do a record on her, Brandy just freaked out because she, I didn't realize that she was like a massive, massive Tanya Tucker fan. And so then right, I just right. like, why don't you do it with me? And then we kind of got in there and did that and, and it did well and everything. And, and so all that stuff just kind of snowballed to where I'm able to get work with a lot of other artists like, um, American Aquarium, and I just did a record with Jason Boland, and I did a record with Yellow Wolf, who I'm doing now, and I also did a record with like uh, a guy named Avi Kaplan, who's a fantastic singer, uh, who used to be in that Pentatonics band. So I've just kind of had a bunch of projects come down the line, and gotten to join up working with Concord, and I, I just love it. To me, it, it's it fits me very well, and I and I enjoy myself so much doing all these records. It just so it's kind of put me in that place these days, and I'm very happy about it. I get to see my kids more too, man. All that travel, yeah, yeah. It's like you know. Well, speaking of which, you're in a bus right now, aren't you? I am. I'm. I'm shooting some videos for this Yellow Wolf project because mm-hmm. me and my band are his band on the record, so he wanted us in the music videos. So we just took our bus and we're we're in Las Vegas for five days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I see. Uh, let me actually go on. I wanted to ask you about how you manage the co-producing end of producing records, because obviously that can be uh, kind of tricky territory when when everybody's got opinions and they're those two people plus the artist who are really in charge do you uh how do you how do you how do you subdivide the responsibilities generally that's interesting you know i didn't know how that was going to work myself but i had a feeling and it kind of was the feeling was kind of accurate it's like with dave you know dave taught me so much about sound especially about Mm -hmm. like you know what gear was used on what Beatles song and all this like he's a major gearhead so he got me into being a gearhead and mm-hmm. so I always go to him for information I'm all you know if I'm working on a record I'll be like what should I use for this you know here or there like whether it be mm-hmm. 
you know, a summing mixer or like, because he's always got some new thing that he's found that he loves. And so I always like to, to mine that information. So when we got into this situation, I knew I didn't have to worry about any of that. Like the, the we were going to be working in his studio, his engineer. So there was no need to intervene unless it was like a really cool idea. Like, hey, what if we do this? And then we get mm -hmm. down with it. But Dave and I generally have a great rapport together. We're like, we're really honestly like two little kids and and we kind of get go right back into that routine even though brandy is the like you said she's in charge ultimately mm -hmm. and she's the artist and, it, and you know the twins and their whole thing sure. but like i found my position in that band besides you know our roles kind of delegated themselves like i ended up playing piano on the whole record which i didn't think i, I didn't know i was going to do on the first one second record i was prepared for that but the first record i I didn't know. And he ended up playing acoustic on every record. So when we would do takes of all the songs, all of us were playing, Dave and me included. So that kind of put us in this musician role when we were going down. And it was just like normal. Like when we would do arrangements, like I would go like, hey, what if we do it three times and we take it right. out the fourth time? And, you know, and he'd be like, yeah, or like, he'd be like, well, what if we do this, you know, and, and everybody just kind of slipped into what their role was. And I think with me, like with the second record in particular, and I'm, you know, arrangement stuff is where I mainly get it, get into the dirt, the weed. With the second record, I felt it was a different formula than the first record. The first record, it was kind of just easygoing and figuring things out and... Dave was kind of overseeing the sound. This time around, we were kind of all working with a handicap to some degree because in, in, an intentional good handicap, which was like, we didn't, because of COVID, Dave had been tracking with the mixing board in the main room at RCA. So we were all kind of in the room at all times and there was no other room where people were going and hanging out. So because of that, we all ate in the same room, we all drank in the same room, we all hung out in the same giant room, and we all kind of made music in that room. And when that happened like that, it kind of put everybody in this different, kind of almost, there's no place to not be active. There's no place to go sit. Right. Because otherwise you're just leaving if you just went and sat somewhere. So right, like, right, right. we're kind of always actively involved. And in the album evolved, like we returned to Nashville because Brandy still felt there was like details that she wanted to sharpen in certain areas of the record in the vibe. And I think it was great. It was in one, one hand, there was much more on the fly kind of coming up with new parts and things, but there was also some refining that went on when we didn't do that with the first record, you know? So this time around, like the refining became a different process. Like I ended up mixing one of the songs for the record during the refining process. And Dave mixed two songs for the record towards the end of the tracking process. And then we had another mixer that came in, you know, along the way and mixed the rest of it. And so when I was mixing my song, I also mixed another one, which we didn't end up using that mix, but I ended up cutting piano on it. So there was a lot of like, after we had done our thing and and really worked on these arrangements together, then there was some stuff that Dave took on. Then there was some stuff that was specifically that I took on and some stuff that a mixer took on. And then we all came back mm. together, recut two things, and then had them remixed and then closed the deal on it. So it was kind of, there was much more of a, a clear picture in Brandy's mind of what how expansive she wanted this record to be and what the feeling of each song needed to be and after we got done and she could look at it in perspective she tweaked things and that was a really cool thing because cool. i think it really made the record better and in that way 
our our responsibilities were kind of different all the time. So it was it, it was cool, you know. But but it it just kind of naturally to answer your question, it naturally happens with me and Dave. I don't know that it would with somebody else, but because of our experience together, we easily can slip into the other person's role. I mean, I mean, each of our roles. And then at the same time, Dave's always like, hey, you want to learn a new <laughs> trick? Check out this new trick I just learned. Or like, I'll show him some keyboard that I've right, got right. that I've been playing and he'll go buy it. You know, like we kind of always are in that same like, hey, hey, check well, this you know, out. The, hey, check this out. The way out. you describe this sounds very similar to way we had made those two records of yours where it was, it was very collaborative. Everybody's sort of involved. Everybody's throwing out ideas and the good ideas stuck. The bad ones went away. And when you, when you work with people who you trust and you have a simpatico thing with more often than not, that just kind of, that's the way it just develops. You know, it's just like, nobody's, you know, grinding their own ax and nobody's trying to supersede anybody else. It's like, Oh, what's a good idea here. So let's 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 talk a little bit about this Highway Butterfly record that you were we got you involved in. Well, first of all, I wanted to ask you when was the first time? Do you remember where and when you might have encountered Neil for the first time? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I have a very clear picture of Neil, and uh, I wouldn't know you if it weren't for Neil. I wouldn't have known Brandon Mason if it weren't for me, Neil. And okay, uh, I worked on a project with George Draculius in 2010 there was a television show and i was a music supervisor on the show it never took off uh it was for fx but george draculius was a music producer on the project because there was a singer the, the lead actor was a singer and so there were songs to be cut and there was actual like a music component to the show so george we i met him for the first time and we hung out at my house and then we had our first session for this kid and I showed up and he had brought Neil in and we went to Dave's room. Dave Bianco was running the session and David Spring, who I had worked with with you guys many times for many years. Uh, he was the engineer on that session, also the assistant engineer. And Neil was there. And I remember feeling like and he was just brought in to play acoustic guitar and i and he had just such a great pocket it was such a good call and this was and this is one of many times that george Julius has been very like somebody some people like to hoard their contacts and some people are really sharing with all of that and george was somebody who was very sharing he introduced me to, to dave bianco david spring to neil casal would encourage me to reach out to them and things like that so like for whatever reason I loved Neil and we got along really well that day and I called him because and we had been in touch and I was going to be moving to New York and I had reached out to him because I knew he, he had told me, he said he had this whole history in New York, you know, if, if you're ever going to be out there, let me know. There's some people you should meet. And I wanted at the time, I wanted to find a studio to set up mm -hmm. a place to set up a studio of my own. And he, I asked if he knew any places like that. And he said he wasn't sure, but he knew a guy. He said, my friend Jeff Hill is, uh, has a studio at his apartment. And I think he, uh, he knows a guy in the building that you went to school with, which was Eric Deutsch. So Neil was, you know, gave me all this advice, introduced me to Jeff, reintroduced me to Eric. Eric, you and Eric knew each other as kids, right? Yes, we went to elementary school together, and, and his, his, his late brother was in my grade. And so I used to go over to his house, to Jonathan's house, and, and, and there would be Eric, you know, and um, such a small world. But uh, so, like, 
then Jeff introduced me to you and Tony Leone and Tony Mason and all these cats that are such great musicians and and uh, that we had we had in so many years of, <laughs> of hilarity ensued and we had some great runs and and great made some great music and I'll never forget you hard lesson to learn. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, you know, well, you know, uh, well, you know the, the, the thing was so cool when you came up to Plyer Studio. It was kind of a, a family reunion because Jeff was there, Tony Leone was there. Eleanor Whitmore, Whitmore ended up singing background vocals on it. We'd, we'd all made, Chris Masters, we'd all made those Chris two Masters. records with you in New York. And then cut to a couple of years later, we're all in uh, Jim Scott's studio in Valencia. And there we all are again. And it was the same vibe. You walk in, you play the tune, you kick it, you, you kill it, you, you hug and you go home. Yeah. Yeah, man. And 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 seriously, like he introduced me to a whole family, a whole world that is now my family. And then, then you know, I started calling him in to play on records because I was starting to do more records on other people. And I there's a record that I did on a young lady named Julie Mm -hmm. Roberts that you played on, that um, (laughs) that has still never come out which is crazy. It's got Neil on it. We spent years doing it. This is like four years ago. And then, so I had him come in for that record. And that was my first extended time working with him, which was awesome. And all of his ideas are awesome. And Neil's just such a good hang, like just the best hang. I mean, just had everybody laughing, like all these things. I remember I could just go rattle off the stories, million stories, but I start. I used him on that. I brought him in on a record of mine that I recorded <laughs> that never came out, that's still sitting around. It will be coming out more soon. But then I did have him play on a song that did come out for the, uh, the Never Ending Story for my Countach record, which was awesome. The way he came up with his part on that was just brilliant. It was just, so, he just turned a part that inherently is cheesy into something just so mad majestic. And then I, I used him on the Jamie Wyatt record, and that was like the last time that I saw him, and that was, and he died shortly that later that year. And but but I did get a big long chunk of time with him there, right right towards the end. And you know he was just, and he had just come back from recording the, right. the Zeph record with you, and was like talking talk about how awesome Zeph and I is, and how awesome the record was, and and was playing me the mixes and stuff like that, you know. And so I, I just had this incredibly warm relationship with him it was a friendship and we would see each other occasionally but you know i wasn't i'm not much of a go out and do things kind of guy so it would usually be in the studio when we get all the most quality time together and uh in in all of those times it was just it was, he was just my favorite you know that was just the way it was like as a guitar player as a mind when you attached him to the monster of the record it just became a more soulful record and it became a more refined record because of his ability you know every project we ever worked on he always had the most positive vibe and it's interesting because i've seen him in situations as a hired side person where depending on who he was working with he could be extremely just like 
tell me what you wanted me to do and I'll do it. In other, in other situations, being very proactive as far as throwing out ideas and things like that. You already mentioned that he did this thing on your record that, as you put it, turned the cheesy thing into something, you know, mag, you know, grand and magnificent. And he had that capability. You know, he could he'd say, hey, you know, uh, if we just tweak this a little bit here, a little bit there. But the thing I wanted to mention where I think his guitar playing in particular really took on a really different thing from his, you know, he started out as a heavy metal guy, you know, he could do tapping and all that Van Halen stuff, you know, but I remember we were on the road with Iris Dement and we had guy, sound guy at the end of the show had handed us a memory stick with the show recorded. And I was sitting in the, uh, in a hotel room with, uh, with Neil and Brian Owings, drummer. And Neil did this really great little solo. And I said, Oh, Neil, I love that solo. And he goes, yeah, man, I'm really into the underachiever thing these days. And I, you know, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, dude, that sounds just like he it. He had gotten past the point in his life where he felt like he had to hang his toes over the end of the surfboard. You know what I mean? You know, he's just like, okay, I'm just going to play this really nice little thing. It's going to be really cool and it's going to be nice, but I'm not going to, I'm not showing off or anything. I'm just like laying it down and it, more often than not, it'll be like the perfect thing. Yeah, man. It, and that was really his that was what was so great about him is because he could see something for the, mm -hmm. in the, the simplicity of something, you know, and not overthink it. But then if you needed him to, I love, I mean, you brought up like the metal thing. It's so funny because as you know, Misty loves Bon Jovi in a, in a humorous way. And, and she would bring that up to him and yeah, right. He'd be like, I was there. He was like, I was there for all of it. Like, <laughs> I saw the rise, the fall, the whole thing, you know? And, and he talked so much about like, I don't know. He just would, he just had a way of, he could do so much, so complex, but he could boil it down to the most simple mm -hmm. thing. And it would always be right. I remember like on the Jamie record, he, we had him play harmonica on this one song and it was just so perfect. It was that old, <laughs> like Dr. Hook kind of style harmonica part. It was like, it couldn't have been more perfect, you know? And, and it, he just had so much soul there, you know, and, and, and humility. And, and like you said, it, I'd have to, I'd be like, I'd be trying to drag the metal <laughs> oh, yeah. out of him sometimes because you know it's there and he's like reluctant to to bring it out and you go like, no, you got to do it, dude. Oh, let me ask you about um, the, the song you end up doing on the Highway Butterfly record was Maybe California. I'm kind of curious about why that particular song, you know, in my imagination, oh, it has something to do with Shooter relocating finally to Los Angeles into California, but I don't know if that's bullshit or not. You know, it's like... <laughs> Well, I definitely felt that about the song, for sure. You know, I, I could re really relate to it, like I wrote it, but also, you know, just the melodies and stuff, like I, because I went through and there was a bunch of choices that I had and I was like trying to figure out which one I wanted to do. And there was something about that song where I just knew that I, that my voice would sound really good doing it, that I, you know, there was almost a mm -hmm. Warren Zevon thing to it that I really liked melodically. And so I just kind of felt like it, even though I could go after something that was a little more intricate and, and, and less kind of rootsy, I, I picked that because I, I thought I would sound the best doing it. And I felt like we, with our band, we were going to just nail it and it was going to be great, you know? And that, and I, cause that was another thing, like this was a reunion yeah, yeah. of our band for the most part. And, so because of that, I felt like I really wanted to make yeah. I pick a song that I knew that we were just going to have some, a spirit about that was us. And, and that, that one 
felt right. Well, here's another question for you about that song. You know, the original version was obviously much more acoustic guitar rooted. immediately sat down at the piano with it um any particular reason why you went that way instead of the guitar way because we were one of the things that we were all doing things we were all doing when we got together we were intentionally not trying to just regurgitate neil's original version uh and everybody had slightly different idea about how to do that definitely that is part of the reason but also like i have just moved to a, a level of comfortability with the piano that i didn't mm -hmm. have earlier in my career so it's like now now i feel like i can get the most soulful kind of performance out of the piano and i'm and i'm really like ballads and things like that i i've just really fallen in love with that kind mm -hmm. of warren zevon not to bring him up again but that that sound right. like he was a killer piano player you know and like that feeling he could turn a ballad into something beautiful but still masculine enough to be sung right like like that it, there, there's a masculinity right, that right. is usually in the guitar and i felt like that there warren zevon had a way of of kind of doing that with the piano and there was something about that song i just felt like it was a more sensitive yet kind of road worn way to do it would be with the piano as opposed to like the guitar you know yeah but, but at the same time it, it that track is pretty aggressive in the end you know it, it, it kicks ass you know it's, yeah it's got some some grit to it which is totally cool spin his life like a dollar he lived it fast and he lived it free he took his time till it Thing that, that was happening over and over and again when we were making, you know, I, I think I'm ending up on like 16 or 17 of these tracks. I'm on a lot. And 
almost without exception, somebody, we'd get to a line in one of his songs and everybody would sort of look at each other like, oh, this is what this song is about in hindsight. And I know it's been a while since you, re, we, you know, we worked on the, on the tune, but I was wondering if there were any moments like that for you just looking at the lyrics of this song. Yes, because see, there's, yeah, remember we had a discussion and I don't remember the details, but we had a discussion about what Gary thought this song mm -hmm. was about or that he knew it was about and details that I did not know. So, so I actually found out details about what this song was about and it made me love it even more because I, but I had, you know, just like any really good songwriter, the reason why you love a song sure. is because you find something in it that you connect with regardless if that was the intention or not. So I think with that, I connected with it on one hand and then I realized what it's really about, which is not what my, what I thought it was about, but it gave it a totally different glare. And that really brought out the emotion when I was in singing the vocals, because this had, this conversation happened before I sang. And then once I realized what he's singing about, when you're singing the, at over and over and over, trying to get good takes, when you're not a <laughs> one taker like me, you really get a chance to get into the, the lyrics and what he's saying and feel the emotion of the words once you kind of have it in perspective. So definitely with that song, the, the emotion came out of the true meaning while I was doing the vocals and it really, it definitely, I had that effect on me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny because as I said, almost everybody had that kind of revelatory moment where, wow, I didn't realize really understood what these songs were about until unfortunately now. And I think this is kind of a good moment to sort of segue into the, the dark side, if you will, you know, it's like, you know, we, you and I have both lost a couple of really good close friends over the last couple of years. And unfortunately, more often than not through one form of self-destructive behavior or another. And you've described, you've described to me in, in, in really funny stories, some of the things that you witnessed as a kid, like your dad tying George Jones to the living room couch because he came, got drunk and got out of hand. And then on another occasion, actually tied him to the tree in the front of your house which is really funny, but at the same time, you're 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 a young kid. You're witnessing some pretty, um, shall we call it, adult behavior, um, and maybe and maybe not in the most positive yeah. role model sort of way. And you seem to have, up to at least at least up to this point in your life, you seem to have successfully avoided the the horrible downward spiral we've seen so many friends of ours go through. Some of them pull out of it, some of them don't. And I'm just wondering if there were things when you were looking back at your past or even even at the time thinking, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. Yeah, that's interesting, man, because, you know, I, on one hand, on one hand, my whole life has been a am I that question in ways not not necessarily about drugs and alcohol or a downward spiral, but like in in terms of people that have come before or other people that we have known and the way their paths have gone. Cause I'm sure there's a million times for all of us, especially people who are in touring bands where you're going like, man, that one time you could think of a time where you, where you, you know, did some shit and everything was okay, but it could have been really, really bad. And like, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, it, it's always kind of there. You know, I, I, I feel really lucky that, I feel lucky that I've been able to survive and I feel lucky that I've had the opportunities that I've had and I've had opportunities because of who I am. And I've had people, you know, mm -hmm. not give me opportunities because of who I am and all that. But I think at the end of the day, 
um, I'm really lucky, man. I've got two kids that are great and healthy and have a great relationship with. I have a very loving wife. And so I feel like I have everything. And so I'm not in a position to really talk, you know, but, but I will say that, you know, there have been little moments in my life that I think have kept me like having the kids. Like I was pretty young when I had Bam, I was 28 and I went through, um, you know, splitting up with their mom and that was tough. And, 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 but I have a great relationship with them and with her and, and everything. And, and going through that or, or losing John or losing, uh, Neil, you know, those situations, man, like it, those are really sobering because, sure. you, you know, they're traumatizing and you go in that kind of a loss makes you really feel how lucky that you are. At least that's how it makes me feel to have, you know, to be in a position and be able to be happy and thankful and, and get by because, you know, like I didn't know anything about Neil and I didn't get any kind of inclinations. And the last time that I spoke with Neil, we had the greatest conversation Mm -hmm. and laughed about ACDC, you know? And so you just never know. And, you know, you never know what's, what turns in life are going to happen. And, you know, so it's just, I think always maintaining those relationships and the kids thing. See, like once you have kids, if you're, if you have, sure. you're kind of always on the hook. And, and that thing for me was really helpful because I think my, my emotion and my own feelings of guilt and responsibility wouldn't, didn't let me mess up my relationship with my kids and because they were there had I not had them I don't know that I would be in in such a good spot because I don't know that I I would have always felt on the hook for something you know what I mean like because I'm pretty bad at treating myself like (laughs) pretty bad to myself in private so it's like I think if I was you know didn't have them that I who knows but I I definitely would, would say that I am very grateful. I'll use your favorite word, <laughs> blessed, to uh, to have the life yeah. I have. You know what I mean. So, and I feel that hard work is you know so much of it. But the other part is is I've had a little luck along the way, and I've had a lot of help along the way, and people like you have helped me along the way. And so I'm grateful for our friendships and our collaborations, and I'm grateful for all the time I had with Neil. Cause he was, I learned so much from him. You know, I just, I, it makes me sad. It makes me happy when I hear him on record. It makes me sad when I think about like the lyrics and stuff. When I think about stuff after the fact, sure. I, I can't ask him questions about it. Like that, that stuff makes me sad, but it makes me very happy to hear the stuff. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think you made a really good point, not specifically about having kids, but having some, some reason to be around, you know, some really solid reason to be around. Yeah. And not just check yeah. out. Yeah. It could be your wife, it could be your mom, you know, it's like that. And I have a lot of people that I feel responsible for, but yeah, hey, it could be, it could be the next project that you want to finish. You know, it could be a lot of things, but I think um, when, when it seems like when people yeah. seem to, when that connection to the next thing or the next reason to be, to wake up the next day somehow breaks, that's when people need some help. And unfortunately, like Neil's Neil's case was is a case in point where he you know he that guy didn't let on you know he didn't he didn't let on what was going down and uh, you know he'd been thinking about this for apparently yeah. for a really long time and nobody knew and I when I heard the news I have to be honest about this I was shocked but I wasn't surprised for some reason and there was something there was some sense in me something in me that sensed that 
that connection for him had broken. And I was hoping that he was going to pull out of it, and he just didn't. And unfortunately, I found out about it on the internet. Like I seem to find out every all this bad stuff. You know, it's just the way it's just the way life works sometimes. Yeah. Um, but on the positive side, this record has gotten done, and it's coming out November twelfth. November twelfth. You are you man. This has been you're great at this, dude. You know, you've told me lots of stories about lots of your different lives and hats you've worn, but you this you wear this hat well. Well, as an old friend of mine used to say, no praise, just a raise. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, this thing's coming out November twelfth. It's a what is it? Five five discs, three three CD. So many people yeah. jumped in, and I was going to ask you, did Gary get in touch with you? How did you get? How did you uh, find your way in? Gary got in touch with me. I, you know, like I was in Europe when Neil died and I wasn't able, like I got invited by several different people. I used to go see Neil with the Robinson brotherhood a bunch. So Chris like invited me to a little thing they were doing in the desert for Neil. And, and like, um, you know, I, I, I'd missed all of it because I was gone and, and I really wanted to, to be a part of something. And I, you know, Gary, reached out and I just I just made it known to him I think that I anything I could be involved in I wanted to be involved in because of how much Neil meant to me and how much I felt like you know like I feel like I owed him a lot of credit and I feel like I owed him a lot of my success because he introduced me to a lot of wonderful people and processes and and taught me things you know so like it's like I didn't get all the time I needed to pay him back in there so it's like I feel like I wanted to to do anything I could and so when he brought this up I was like I would love to do it and then when he when I heard I was going to do it with you guys and it was going to be like this whole thing I was like oh this is gonna be awesome you kidding me like what a fun day like I was so excited to get there that day yeah it was it was awesome um I guess that's kind of like the the stuff that I was uh kind of kind of wanted to cover with you do you think I left anything out Man, I mean, no, just because I hope people check this out and really get a picture of Neil because, like, he this this record is really cool and it's got a real lot of really cool people who really love Neil coming together to like do his music and you know show his lyrics to the world and show because because Neil is like unsung largely in a lot of circles like you people don't realize like how many cool bands he was a part of and how much influence he had on so many different things you know people that's important and so it's just exciting november 12th is around the corner well yeah it's going to be great and um i want to thank you for jumping in on this of course man and i can't wait to see i get to see you in person at some point that'd be great you guys said you were going to come to visit a friend of misty's in uh albuquerque at some point i'm still waiting for the phone call so yeah well, well i know we we have to and and dude i i have like we got to work in the studio we like in the same room you're such a i love when I send you tracks and you do it because I love what you do. Like I, like I always can't wait to get it back, but I love being in the, in the studio with you because, because you come up with lots of good ideas and you're just a lot of fun. So, you know, I, I love you and I loved the opportunity to get to talk to you about mm-hmm. Neil because I know how much Neil meant to you, but oh, you also you, mean that much to me too. So yeah, we give my best to Misty and I'll talk to you soon. I hope. You too, man. All right, I will. And you give my best, Carissa, and I'll, I'll talk to you um, hopefully soon. Good, and uh, thanks for the tour, the tour bus tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Now I'm pacing because I, I, like our drummer is a math teacher, and he had to teach a class in the back, so I, I got the hallway. <laughs> uh, isn't that interesting? A drummer who's a math teacher, that sort of works, doesn't it? It's, it does, and it, it, more than you would think. <laughs> yeah, All right, man. So great to see you. 
be well, travel safely, and uh, hope All to right, see you man. soon. Great to see you. This podcast is brought to you by Backline, the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub. Launched in 2019, Backline gives artists, crews, and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline provides individuals with case management and offers virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breath work. To donate, learn more, or get in touch for personalized care, visit backline.care. That's B-A-C-K-L-I-N-E dot C-A-R-E. Thanks for listening to Highway Butterfly, the stories of Neil Cassell. Tune in next week to hear more from the artists who made this tribute album a reality. Highway Butterfly, the songs of Neil Cassell is out on November 12th. All album net proceeds go to the Neil Cassell Music Foundation. You can pre-order the album and learn more at neilcassellmusicfoundation.org. Osiris.